my name is Julie Turney, and this is the HR Sound Off Podcast Show, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent topics and trends as it relates to our professions. We're going to have amazing conversations with HR professionals from all over the world, get to learn their origin stories. How did they get into this profession? What do they love about being here? And how they want to set the record straight on that one misconception that really drives them crazy about our profession. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let's sound off. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the HR Sound Off podcast show. My name is Julie Turney, and I am your host. How are you doing today, HR people? I am having a really great day. The sun is out. We're just coming out of a bank holiday, and I'm going to have a great conversation today as it relates to the HR hustle and more. And I'm sharing this space, you know, because as an HR professional, magnifying HR voices, it is always my pleasure to to magnify amazing HR voices. And today's voice is no different. Teresa Boza, hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hello, hello, Julie. I'm doing wonderful and I'm just so happy to be here. I I love your work. I love what you have to say. And I know we're going to have a great conversation. We absolutely are. Thank you so much. So why don't we start off by telling our beautiful audience listening today, who is Teresa Voza? Yeah. So who am I? Well, I um, right now I'm an executive coach and an HR consultant, and okay. I've been in that role now for about three and a half years. But prior to that, and probably of, of great interest to your to your listeners is that I was a prior HR executive. So I worked in HR, oh goodness, it was probably over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, I was responsible for recruiting, learning and development. I was responsible for compliance and legal at a time. I was responsible for HR, the business partner side of the house. And so I ran the whole full suite of HR and was very much a, I would say a generalist in nature right. versus a versus a specialist. specialist. Yeah. yeah, but I loved HR. I still love HR. It has a, a very warm place in my heart because quite honestly, it is uh, no joke, a superhero role. Oh, mm. yeah. You are so right. It yeah. really is. Um, thank you so much for sharing your journey. I mean, tell us a little bit about, I'm going to go back to what you just highlighted for us, but tell us a little bit about how your journey in HR started. Yeah. Was, was it something you always wanted to do or did it just happen? You fell into HR, you know, a lot of people do that. So yeah, started. absolutely. So I, so when I graduated from university, I, one thing I knew for sure, there was a stream that followed me throughout my entire life was, you know, wanting to help people, which again is what so many HR professionals say is like what led them to HR is wanting to help people. We now know that's so much more than that, but that was the stream. But I actually started um, my career working with individuals with special needs and disabilities. And so I was a caseworker and I worked with um, uh, special need adults as well as children. And during that time, Um, someone said to me very sporadically, have you ever considered going into HR? And I was like, 
hmm, no, tell me more. Mm-hmm. And she shared with me the the role of being able to help people with organizational uh, hiring and placing of people in, in certain roles. Mm-hmm. At the time, she really beefed up the recruitment side of HR. And that right. sounded to me like really attractive. Getting to interview mm-hmm. people sounded really important. That's what yeah. it sounded like. Mm-hmm. And so I went to college and I did a postgrad in human res- human resource management. And from there, that's where my career started over 20 plus years ago. And I started off as a co-op student, just interning with an organization and doing a whole lot of administration and, and recruiting. And from there, just became a generalist. And really, my, my start really took off when I entered the financial services side. So when I entered the insurance world as a manager, mm-hmm. that led me through, you know, I don't like using the expression climbing the ranks, but first right. to keep it simple, that's where I started to climb the ladder uh, in HR and moved from a coordinator to manager to director to, to VP. And then my last role uh, before I left three years ago was as a chief HR officer. So worked at all different levels of HR. Yeah. And with that comes all different challenges as well, yeah. as, we, as we know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story yeah. with us. I really think that it's important for people to learn or appreciate the growth that it takes, the journey to get where we are. I think a lot of times people see the end product, but mm. they don't see the things that we've gone through in order to get us where we where we are in the mm. moment. Um, mm. And a lot of times I find, especially young HR professionals are trying to do it really quickly. They want to yeah. get there now. Um, what advice do you have when mm. it comes to developing and growing your HR career? For those who are listening that are trying to get into HR, no matter the age, um, but then also for our young people who are struggling with the, it's taking too long for me to progress in my role. Yeah. Oh, such good advice. Such good question. You know, even as I was sharing with you my answer to the last question about mm-hmm. wanting to help HR, you know, one of the things that I wish I had known my younger self, if you will, yeah. Um, before I entered HR, was there's so much focus on an HR being a profession where you are to help other people. Mm-hmm. We neglect to say and help yourself. Yeah. Right. Like my advice to anyone entering the field of HR, first and foremost, is you need to make self care a priority right from the get go. Mm-hmm. not at the end. Right. And for me, you know, when I talk about self-care, I talk about it as a process, not an mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. I, I ask, I look at it as a practice of asking yeah. myself on a daily basis, like what, what do you, you most need today? So that's just the first thing I'll say, but I would say for those who are in the field of HR, one of the best pieces of advice that was given to me, which I would still hold today mm-hmm. is that, um, Becoming a generalist first is excellent advice. And the reason is because, you know, it's an all-encompassing field where, you know, you can be a recruiter and a strategizer and a trainer and a coach and all of those different things. But when you you generalize and you kind of um, dabble in different spheres of HR, then you can find your unique zone of genius and then specialize later. 
right? Mm-hmm. So for myself, like I was, I was a generalist my entire career, right. but I found over time that where I really started to shine was when I was training, when I was in front of people, when I was um, coaching and facilitating. And so that led me down a path of carving out a role for myself as a, as a consultant and a coach. So I would say, start off being very general, you know, dabble in everything, find out where you really shine so that down the road, you can specialize in something that really lights you up. Yes. Yeah. I love everything you said. What stood out for me was the words, your zone of genius. Mm. I love that. Mm. And I always give very similar advice when it comes to, you know, people approaching the HR profession. Mm. I say, think of it like if you were going to study to be a doctor, you have to learn everything at first but then you can specialize. That's why we have general practitioners and then we have specialists, right? But everybody who is a doctor started as a general practitioner. They had to learn everything in order to be able to know which area they were going to specialize in or if they were just going to stay as a general practitioner. And I think as HR professionals, you have to it's really important that you try to approach it that way. Don't want to say have to, but try to approach it that way. Um, Because if you have the exposure to all of the wheelhouse of Mm -hmm. the HR function, then you can make a determination as to what it is that really, like you said, makes your heart sing, brings you joy. And then you can go down the path of of specialization. I think that's really great advice. Thank you so much for sharing Mm -hmm. that. And I know that as you develop and grow your HR career, you be, you get busier and you mm-hmm. get busier, which brings us to this piece of the conversation where um, I really want to tap into your thoughts on, you know, the hustle culture in HR. Yeah. Um, yes, hustle culture is a real thing. Um, we know that it exists in every organization. We know that it exists in most people's life. Um, we can relate to it as entrepreneurs. You know, you you yes. understand this thing called hustle culture, right? But in HR, hustle culture is very real. And for me, when I when I think about hustle culture in HR, I think about all those HR people who are constantly busy, but busy doing things that are not necessarily productive. Let's talk a little bit about hustle culture in HR. Mm. So I know, as I was saying to you before we started recording, for me, hustle culture is thinking back to the times where I was busy but not productive. And I think specifically about meetings that I was in that I didn't really need to be in, or especially the meetings where there was no actions for HR immediately, that I could have stayed out of the conversation until later down. Or, you know, meetings where they're just, ram- I've done my part and now it's just going on yeah. and not, nothing that's being said is really purposeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And that's a fact that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. So sometimes a meeting that's supposed to be 30 minutes ends up being an hour and a half Mm -hmm. or that's an hour ends up being half a day. And then the meetings after the meetings um, that I really did should have just avoided those conversations. So like I could think a lot about that. And then I think a lot about, you know, things that I was busy in that I didn't need to be busy with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could have done other things that would have been more purposeful or meaningful. So for me, when I think about hustle culture, it's almost like, yes, I've been busy, but every busy action has not been purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the place that you're coming from when you speak about hustle in HR. Mm. So tell us a little bit about what that means for you. Yeah. And um, how you think our listeners um, can do better when it comes to this space of, you know, hustling in HR. Yeah, such a good question, Julian. And thank you so much for sharing, you know, when your reflection back. Because I too, if I think back to the time when I was quote unquote hustling in HR, it was in direct result to um, my need to be liked mm-hmm. and my need to be seen as uh, a needed partner in the room. It had less to do with answering what I think you're pointing out, which is the rightful question of asking of what value or purpose is it for me to actually be here? So a few things I'll say about what I would call like, especially hustling in in HR specifically Mm -hmm. is because we tend to be in HR for better or for worse, this, I don't want to say dumping ground because it sounds harsh, but it's also some truth to it. We are seen as a catch-all. We are seen as a catch-all. So if we're black hole, where all things go to die. Right. when we just can't figure out right. where it should go, let's stick it in let's HR. Let's figure it, it out. HR. Like I, th- I think back to when they asked me to take over legal and compliance. No one else wanted it, so they gave it to HR. Right? So, wow. like it's one of those things. So I think yeah. it goes to um, burnout in HR specifically. <clears throat> I think that gaining the skills to to use like an empowered an empowered no, which is not my term. I heard this from someone else. And so yeah. I want to be very clear that the credit does not go to me is that, it, you know, when we learn the skill of an empowered, no, not mm-hmm. the kind of no, that is like a defensive, like I can't, but instead uh, a more empowered, no could be an example of saying I don't. So for example, yeah. for myself, because I was such a people pleaser And because I always wanted to be validated for my work by my boss and by others, um, I did not have the word no in my vocabulary. It just didn't exist. I just Mm -hmm. said yes to everything. So to the meetings that were an hour and a half long, to the meetings where I didn't really need to be there, but I said yes anyway, because just in case I get called upon, no is the reason, until I had to learn the hard way that there was such a way to use an empowered no. So instead of saying, I can't be there or I can't do something, instead I was I was taught to uh, say things like, I don't check my emails after eight o'clock. 
for example, yeah. and I don't come in before eight o'clock in the morning. That would have been one of my boundaries because I had young children at the yeah. time that I was an, an executive. And that leaves um, less room for margin. And that's yeah. more intrinsically tied to what I value and what is worthwhile to me versus mm-hmm. I can't, which sounds a little bit more defensive. And I think body language and and language in general does matter when we're communicating um, boundaries, if you will. So I guess a roundabout way of me saying that um, burnout in HR for me, I think, is a result of being in too many places, too many times, too often. And it arises from this perhaps um, inability for us to be able to use an empowered no when we need it, because HR professionals need it more than any other uh, helping profession. We take on the emotional labor of yeah. so much of the work that happens mm-hmm. organizationally, and that work is not seen, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really imperative on us to develop the skills and the deep self-awareness that comes with um, creating healthy personal policies, personal guidelines that are t- tied to our well-being. Does that make sense yeah. to you? That makes perfect sense to me. I think um, as you use the word, you know, the empowered no, I think one of the things that I've learned, especially through my journey as a coach and now coaching other HR professionals and helping them to reflect is, you know, what was your value system when you first started HR? And I think you'll find that your value system when you first started HR is completely different to your value system. Now, as you've Mm -hmm. developed your HR career, you kind of, have a clearer, clearer understanding of your values and what you will and will not do. So um, I think of me, I think of Julie, yeah. you know, 17 years ago versus Julie now, I definitely jump into an organization that gives me the challenge, like is like, they really need a lot of help but the leaders are not quite on the bus because I think I can change them and I can get them on the bus, right? Versus the Julie now, which would be like, I need those leaders on the bus before I get there with a couple things that they just need straightening out that I can help and support with and we can move this bus together. That's the Julie, that's the organization I'd want to work in now if I ever decided to go back into corporate. But um I think our value systems change over time and understanding that we are empowered to say no very early is really important. However, I think that comes with a caveat because I think that if we think about um, all the different generations that have converged upon the workforce now, I think Gen Z is very clear about where where their values are Mm -hmm. and what they will say yes and no to. Mm-hmm. However, I again in HR, I still feel there's that measure of people pleasing, and yes, I want to do because yes, I want to grow, and yes, I want to be. And so with that, I think comes that mentality of like I, I need, I feel like I need to be in all of these pies mm-hmm. um, just to make sure that there's proper representation of the people mm-hmm. in those moments. But you don't necessarily have to be. I learned very close to the end of my corporate career that people gravitate to you and will take, will come for your advice and will want you to be a part of those spaces 
the less you make yourself available to them. Yes. Because if they they appreciate your boundaries Mm -hmm. and your values, and they also appreciate the knowledge and the expertise that you bring when you do show up, you don't have to be everywhere. Yeah. So then the question becomes, well, how do I get there? Uh (laughs) That's all about developing your own confidence, your own competencies and skills and your value system and understanding, as you said, like what you will accept, what you won't accept and what you will do and what you won't do. I love that you said that, Julie. It really speaks to my heart. And I think um, what I would add to that, if I may, is that Mm -hmm. so much of the work around um, banishing burnout, I think Mm -hmm. for HR, but for everybody, but let's just keep it to HR because that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Yeah. it's, it's, It's under the surface. Yeah. It's not above the line. Like, you know, if we think about, like I always use the term above the line, below the line with my clients, Mm -hmm. above the line is all of the symptoms that you are experiencing, exhaustion, anger, irritability. Below the line is where we come in. People like Mm -hmm. yourself, Julie, people like myself as well, where we work on saying, let's understand what is truly a value to you. And we create a like a choice point. We create a lens through which to f- make all decisions related mm-hmm. to your career, related to, um, you know, your CEO's next request from yep. this lens that is very deeply grounded in a center of being, right? Mm-hmm. A, a, like a value mm-hmm. system that you hold dear. That to me is the only way we truly uh, lead careers that are sustainable as well as successful. If we stay Mm -hmm. focused at the top of the line, all the symptoms, it will not last. And I, and we have to go deeper. And I, I know that's uncomfortable for many. Oh yes. (laughs) Right. It's required work. I call, I say to my clients, it's like the hurt so good kind of work, right? Like it hurts, yeah. but it's like, oh, this is so good. Mm-hmm. That kind of work. And um, yeah. I think it's it's like a crisis, I think, right now with mm-hmm. uh, burnout and with HR. We have to do the deeper work. We have point. to do the deeper work. Oh, yes. I am 100% in agreement with you on that. And it's so funny. I mean, so let me get your, you yeah. get your take on this. I mean, this conversation is going some different places. <laughs> We're going to get there. So I actually, hmm, this totally resonates with me. I had a client who actually loved the drama mm-hmm. of it that, you know, came with the chaos and the hustle. Mm-hmm. And it was only after doing a deep, deep dive that she realized that she'd spent most of her life in crisis moments and she thrived in crisis moments. So she couldn't work in organizations that didn't have chaos, that weren't toxic. Like she couldn't, she couldn't thrive in an environment that was giving her everything that she needed because she loved the toxicity of it all. Mm -hmm. Right? That was kind of a new one for me. Yeah. And then there are so many other, you know, HR professionals that I've worked with who after doing a deep dive into themselves, because I always say you can't fix your HR career until you fix yourself. Mm-hmm. The problem is not your career. The problem is you. Yep. And so you need to understand what is triggering you and fix that 
when you do that, then whatever is happening in your HR career becomes a lot clearer and where you want to go becomes a lot clearer. And I find that once you've done that deep dive and I say it from experience, having burned out twice, but on the final round, getting the help that I needed and being in therapy has helped me a lot. Um, But when you do that deep dive, you realize a lot of the challenges you experience are tied to your personal life. Yep. Things that have been either compressed from your childhood or onward um, that impact how you show up as an HR professional in your daily life. And I'll tell you where this really kicked off for me. So my team and I recently launched Disrupt HR in Trinidad. And one of the speakers, the final speaker on the night of of Disrupt Trinidad spoke about healing in HR. And she said, she started to give some scenarios around things that we do as HR professionals that are happening to us because we haven't healed from things happening in our childhood. So she started to talk about things like not, you know, being biased towards candidates because what we read and how they show up in an interview looks like something looks like our father or looks like our mother or looks like a sibling that did us wrong that we never dealt with. And so we can't see past that to heal, to treat a candidate with fairness, or we work with a CEO who behaves like a father who treated us badly or a mother who treated us badly or a sibling that did us wrong or an aunt and uncle or uncle because it's always a family member right done us wrong and we've carried that into the workplace that unhealed person is sitting in the workplace working with people but hasn't healed themselves julie <laughs> what that did for me because I was like what is she well not just that it's like you are speaking about me like that's that's what I keep hearing when I hear you but but more than that it's um so uh I love where this conversation is going but I'd be doing a lot of work in the um, embodied leadership space Mm -hmm. and the and a big part of that is trauma right and 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 managing trauma because I come from a trauma background um, I was the woman that, you know, looked at CEOs like my, like they were my, you know, my father who was, who was quite violent. Um, and so I too had to do this deep work to understand that below the surface, my burnout, yes, looked like run of the mill burnout, exhaustion, fatigue, mm-hmm. huge anxiety, all of the things, but below the surface, there were unhealed wounds that I needed to uncover and discover and gain gain some emotional mastery over. Yeah. And I too did that through uh, great therapeutic work, mm-hmm. somatic experiencing, which is, you know, working with the body because a lot of trauma yeah. and anxiety is lodged in the body, oh, yeah. right? Oh, um, yeah. And so that's why a big part of how... I approach coaching and my philosophy, and I suspect it's yours too, Julie, is, you know, I'm an inside out type of leader and coach. 
Mm -hmm. I go to speak to organizations about these topics. I don't speak about the problem out there. You and I speak about the problem in here. Inside. Mm -hmm. Right? It's inside. And so I love what you're saying because it adds more nuance and color and texture to the HR conversation, which is to say, you commit to doing the deeper work, really unravel those conditioned tendencies that we all have, right? Even our bosses, even the people that drive us crazy, they too are operating from a system that they may or may not be aware of, which creates compassion, which is helpful for us in HR to feel that compassion. But first we need to start the work within ourselves. That's right. And so that healing does start with understanding all of our shaping forces, all of our conditioned tendencies, and then holding them up to the light and saying, mm-hmm. okay, how might I choose differently now? Now. So it's a, I know we're going in a very deep, uh, deep yeah, uh, no, direction, but it's but necessary. It's important. Necessary. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that working from the inside out is so important. You can't be your best self and you can't be the best for your organization if you don't do the work. And that's why a lot of times when HR people come to me and they're like, I lost my job. I'm looking for a new one. And I'm like, tell me some of the things that happened in the old one that led to you leaving or exiting that organization in whatever way you exited the organization. What were some of the challenges that you had and why? And I will dig deep and I will dig and I will dig until they figure out, oh, shucks, mm-hmm. this was the situation. And sometimes you find three, it happened three organizations ago, yeah. or four organizations yeah. ago. And you've taken all that repressed pain and trauma from one organization to the next. Mm-hmm. And you're wondering mm-hmm. why you can't make progress, why mm-hmm. you can't make difference why you can't grow in your role or you know meet your leaders where they are at but the problem is you've had you've experienced trauma that you haven't dealt with four organizations ago and so whatever experiences that you've had in those organizations have compounded your trauma and now you're sitting on this Mm -hmm. tension right that Mm -hmm. will not go away and it will eventually impact and be the result of part of your burnout journey and also part of your mental health journey until you deal with that. So I totally, I so appreciate having this conversation with you today. Thank you so much because I will tell you that yesterday and for whenever you're listening to this, um, listening to this podcast, you can go to the link that I'm going to put in the notes of a LinkedIn profile that I created, a LinkedIn post that I created yesterday. And in this post, I just said, there are so many things our HR certification has not taught us, right? It has not taught us how to deal with an employee death, however it happens. It has not taught us how to deal with bullies or leaders that throw tantrums, employees who think that the message we're giving is our message and not the organization's message. And so they threaten us, they threaten our family members, they flatten our tires, they throw our stuff off our desk, they do spit on us, all kinds of things. I never expected 
to get the response that I got that the post went viral in just less than an hour. When I looked at it this morning, there were over 300, almost 300 responses of people telling their stories of things that have happened to them in their HR careers. The reason why I created the post was I always create posts around experiences that my clients have had and experiences that I have had in my HR career that they don't have the courage to talk about themselves or that I never had the courage to talk about when I was sitting in corporate HR. But I can talk about them now because this is how I magnify HR voices. This is how I tell people the other side of HR. And that post went bananas. Yeah. Because there are so many HR people who are in pain, who are in trauma, and they're looking for help, but they just don't know where to get it from. And there are so many of us that have gone through some very ugly things and have either exited HR or we're still fighting the fight, but because our values have changed, we're doing, we're practicing HR differently. Mm. And I feel that this conversation was definitely timely from that convers- these conversations that I've been having so far this week and the last couple of weeks, especially from that Disrupt HR um, presentation, which really had me thinking twice about the moments that I probably was not my best self, not knowing I wasn't healed. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I do. I do. And um I think what you're pointing out to, and I hope that everyone listening really gets this too, is that, you know, if, if you're silently suffering, and I think many HR leaders do silently suffer mm-hmm. from so many feelings, disconnection, low self-worth, not making an impact, being dumped on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the call to action, if anything here, Julie, is, um, it's not your fault. No. Right? It's not your fault. And instead to really, you know, instead of internalizing all that has occurred, to really bring it out safely, mm-hmm. you know, yes. with a trusted coach, mentor, therapist, whomever it might be, mm-hmm. to say, like, you know, why is it that X, Y, and Z? might happen? How might I impact or change that? And really commit to asking yourself some thoughtful, reflectful questions um, that I have never, I have never not, I've never regretted, I should say, in some ways, the burnout that I had to go through many years ago in 2015, because it led me down the path of really discovering who I am, what I stand for, the kind of HR that I prepare. I propose um, Mm -hmm. to organizations and to CEOs and how to integrate the head and the heart. That is not woo. And I can't stand it when people say that that sounds all woo. Fluffy stuff. Mm -hmm. I would say if that's woo, then woo is a competitive advantage because when you integrate Uh head and heart, you have a dynamite (laughs) career ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And Julie, you're so wonderful at pointing out, I think once I even put put something on LinkedIn about a colleague of mine, an HR executive who was suffering, and you took the time to respond to that post and say, let her know that she is not alone and that there is an organization and there is a CEO out there 
who will value her empathy because that was the one skill she yeah. found was not valued as an HR mm-hmm. leader. So um, that is really meaningful for me to have people in my network that believe the same as I do in that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is going to be a HR sound off podcast show with a little twist. So if you could give a summary of any advice that you want to share with our listeners right now, I think we've given so much in terms of our call to action. I think you mentioned mentors, coaches, you know, um, therapy, all very important things, mm-hmm. but the People who are listening right now and going, yes, I need to do that, but still have not moved, are not in the process of moving while they're listening to this podcast. What is the one thing that you would say to really stick a pin in them and make them jump up and go, all right, I really got to deal with this? The very first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm just going to go with that because as a people pleaser, overanalyzer, I'll start thinking of other things to say. Um, if not now, when, and the reason I'll keep it really short is because I waited too long. Um, I almost even get emotional thinking about it. Like I waited too long and that cost me, you know, not cost me, it cost me time with my kids. It cost me meaningful, you know, time with my kids. It cost me a lot of sleepless nights. It cost me my health. And the other thing I'll say is that I think people wait for full-blown burnout to exist, to happen Mm -hmm. before they get the help. Please don't do that. Micro stress is real. That meeting that you just walked out of where you're just fuming inside cannot be kept inside at that, like one time, two times, three times, four times, you will consistently drain your battery. So if not now, then when? Mm -hmm. And it just starts with taking a small, teeny tiny action. It could be going and purchasing a book about burnout. That could be your very first action. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing I say too, and I think I have a post coming out this week on this too, is whatever you want more of, become an expert in it. Yeah. So if you want to become if you want to become more well, become an expert in well-being. Mm-hmm. If you want to become um if you want to have more fulfillment and meaning in your career, become an expert in in what meaning and fulfillment would look like. So whatever it is that you want more of, become an expert in it. And it could start with as as simple as a email to Julie or a a DM to myself. It could start with none of those things. It could just be purchasing a book. It could be writing a journal entry, but just Mm -hmm. take one teeny tiny action towards the thing you want more of in your career. I love it. That was a lot, but still. (laughs) Brevity is not my friend. (laughs) <laughs> definitely, definitely necessary, Teresa. Yeah. Definitely necessary. And I would think for those of you that are listening, the one thing I would say is in your heart, you know, you need help. Yeah. And as Teresa said, if not now, when? Mm-hmm. If not now, when? When you're in the emergency room waiting for a doctor to tell you that you had a heart attack mm-hmm. or an anxiety attack? Not now, when? When you're in a doctor's office hearing a diagnosis that you don't want to hear. It's not now when. 
when you've completely lost the plot and you have to go on disability because your mental health is at its most fragile? If not now, when? That's all we got to say to you. That's all we got to say to you. Teresa, we talked a lot about the things that impact our mental health. I think we both are burnout survivors. And so the question I would ask you is, what are the things that you do now differently to take care of yourself um, and make sure that you are the best you that you could be? Thank you for that question. Um, I really appreciate it. And I take that question so seriously now. I would say, um, first and foremost, self-care is not a buzzword. Um, self-care is not, is not a, a, like, I don't, I always say it's not an event. It's not a noun. It's not like a a bubble bath. It's, or a, a walk, if you will. Those are tactics. Those are things we do. I think the very first thing I would say is I, I really, really take my mental health and well-being seriously. And so every day I ask myself, Teresa, and I I always like talk to myself like it's almost like a little girl. Teresa, what do you need most right now? And sometimes that is um, I need to lay in bed a little bit longer. Sometimes that is I need to read a book. Sometimes that is I need to meditate. Meditation is a big part of my life now. Um, And I do that because stillness speaks. Mm -hmm. And so getting quiet and taking quiet time every day is really important to me. Movement is really important to me. And um, I don't, and I say movement, not exercise, because it's right. not about the outcome of exercise. It's about the movement of my body mm-hmm. so that I can awaken my senses and then awaken my, um, my intuition and my insight and work through a problem that I might be having. So movement allows me to do that. So movement, meditation, daily journaling with that very simple prompt, prompt mm-hmm. Teresa, what do I need most right now? today mm-hmm. and answering that question for myself and um empowered empowered knows which again um it's not for me but you know understanding um what do i need to say no to so that i create more time and expansion in my in my day and in my life and in my relationships would be probably the four most critical things that i do for myself and that helps me run a business that is sustainable and is also not prone to me burning out, burning out because entrepreneurial burnout is also real. Also very real. <laughs> very, very real, right? Oh, yeah. So having to, you know, again, remember all the lessons I learned from my corporate burnout and transcend that over to my entrepreneurial um, yes. life as well. I've sit in the very same place as you. I mean, mindfulness is very important to me. Um, and as you said, I think the answer comes in the stillness. Yeah. Yeah. I love silence. Me too. I love the sound of nothing. Mm-hmm. And just being in those moments, and it helps me to be in tune with, with my body and also my mm-hmm. mind. Um, it helps me to quiet my thoughts because I, my head is constantly thinking about stuff. Yes. Yes. So being able to not actually, not 100% quiet the noise but to get the noise at a level where it's just enough mm-hmm. 
that I don't have to be totally focused on it. Mm-hmm. It's taken me years to get there, mm-hmm. but um, I'm so grateful for for being able to do that. And I love journaling. Mm-hmm. I love reading. So all the things. Um, movement is is one of the things that I am trying to get better at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that movement becomes easier when you're moving in places that you like or that yeah. you love. Yeah. And so I found the ocean is it for me. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So being able to swim, that's where that's I'm in my element. I could spend two hours in the sea easily, you know. Um and I, and once I'm walking in a place that's fairly serene yeah. and it's quiet. Yeah. I can't walk with a lot of people. Yeah. I can't do that. So it's about finding the, the spaces and the places mm-hmm. that work best for you mm-hmm. and, and then doing that. But for me, silence is everything, especially when I'm trying to be introspective. Yeah. Um, and as an introvert, that's very important to me. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate those. Thanks for sharing those. So I got to ask you, what are you reading, watching, listening to right now that you think our audience oh. is Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited. Uh, so many things. But um, the book I'm reading right now, which is blowing my mind, is mm-hmm. um, 4,000 Weeks by okay. Oliver Berkman. Okay. And um, it is a book all about kind of doing away with quote unquote time management hacks. Mm. And instead looking at time management and again it's so important for HR professionals as well as more of a um a process of of make choosing to spend your time from a from a lens of understanding that we are finite that yeah. our time is not unlimited so it's really really great book on um uh, time management from the lens of understanding that we have one life. So it's very, mm-hmm. very meaningful, very, very resonant. Right. Um, highly recommend HR professionals read this because we have so much that we're, or, we're always trying to manage time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the podcast that I'm also listening to besides yours, Julie, which I love, <laughs> obviously, um, is Think Fast, Talk Smart um, okay. by Matt Abrahams, I believe. And he's a Stanford Stanford professor who talks about um, how do we communicate better, mm-hmm. and I love it because it, it they're bite size. It's twenty minutes, and he just reminds me every day about the importance of listening mm-hmm. to people um, versus ju- run, jumping in and interrupting or asserting our opinion. Again, super valuable for HR leaders yeah. and professionals is remembering to listen to yourself and knowing how to do that before you communicate with others, I think is such a powerful um, reframe on listening that I don't, I think this is a lifelong skill is to become a Mm -hmm. deep listener. Um, And so every chance I get to be reminded to pause, to not always think about what I'm going to say next, to yeah. let, let the conversation flow like it has been for you and I, Julie. I've loved this yeah. conversation because it's been so natural. Um, is, again, perfecting that ability to just really deeply be present with the person across from me versus mm-hmm. always thinking about what I'm going to do next. That podcast yeah. is, is excellent for reminding me how to do that. Nice. I always love when we share um, books and podcasts because yeah. I always learn something new and there's always a new podcast to add to my list. So I'll definitely yeah. include them in the comments. Thank you so much for sharing those. The big question, last question, mm-hmm. big question. 
What's the biggest misconception about HR that really bothers you that you want to set the record straight on right here, right now? I have so many. I know. I know. Everyone does. Good. I would say, um, I would say if I had to pick one, and this is really, really hard for me, but this is a good skill in in, in choosing, is um, HR is not um, a dumpy ground for managers to send poor performers to. Ugh. Right? I right. cannot begin to tell you how mm-hmm. often as an HR professional, I was asked to have a difficult conversation with someone who was not performing or let somebody go because they're not performing or um, basically deal with all of the aspects of managing a human being, I might add, um, that should be uh, part of a manager's skill set. And so I think with that, I would say that you know, we need to continue. And I think this is starting to move. I don't know how fast, but we are business partners. We are not um, your manager. We are not the yeah. manager who's responsible for leading people. We will That's help right. guide you towards the, the processes. Mm-hmm. But the work of managing people and motivating them and engaging them resides with the leader, not yeah. with HR. That's it. Full stop. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because, again, I think that comes with, number one, people-pleasing, the people-pleasing yep. side yep. of us in HR, mm-hmm. and also the, the not setting of boundaries, right? That we haven't set the boundaries with the managers. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes not fully understanding our scope of work as HR. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so if you're, like, a new to HR, you probably take that on because you are new to HR and you didn't know. That's not really something you shouldn't be doing. But I always ask the question, like, am I going to be responsible for this person's payroll, like their salary? Is it going to come out of my budget? No. Am I responsible for their promotions? No. Am I responsible for when they do good work in your team? No. Why not? Because those are things that you are managing, right? So why would I be responsible for the poor performance? Why would that be the one thing that you choose not to take accountability for as a manager? So let me, you know, push that back on to them because at the end of the day, management is not just about the good, right? Management is about the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with working with human beings. Mm -hmm. And it's important that they understand that they too have to develop the same coaching techniques or mentoring skills as we do with HR, right? Yes. Um, And it's our job, our responsibility to make sure that we coach them mm-hmm. in a purposeful and meaningful way that helps them to take on that responsibility. Yeah. But the moment that we say yes, yeah. that is a fracture in our boundary setting. Yeah. It is a fracture in our values. It is a fracture in our belief system. And it will continue to, now that you've given them a pinhole, they can make that bigger. Mm-hmm. They can ask for other things. Mm-hmm. And because you've now given them an opportunity to, to erode at your value system yes. and your ability to set good boundaries. Yeah. So I think that that's a, re- that's a very good one, a very important one. One of the biggest soapboxes that I love to be upon because I think so many of us take on this, take on these different responsibilities because, oh, you know, they're so busy. 
we start to make excuses for the manager. They're so busy. They've got other things to do and this, that. No. Yeah. No matter how busy you are as a parent, you still have to make sure your kids eat, drink, go to school and get sleep. Yeah. And when you are the manager of a team, it is your responsibility to make sure that your team members understand their role, have the tools and equipment they need to do their job effectively, and that they are coached and mentored to develop and grow in their roles. That means managing poor performance as well. Yes. Amen. I mean, I'm with you. And I think, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't say it better myself. And, And I love that you called it a fracture because you're right. The minute... And I did this, so I know. We say yes. Knowledge and experience. I know, I know. It's so nice when we're in hindsight sitting over here, but I get it. I get it. It's it's the minute we do that, I feel like it's like a balloon that you just like you said, you poked a hole and this slowly starts to drain air. I equate that to like our our level of energy as well. The minute we accept that, our level of energy just diminishes and it squeezes out of us because intrinsically we know that this is not our role to be doing this and it and we have succumbed because of again deeper deeper tendencies at play people pleasing Mm -hmm. wanting to impress wanting to prove it to the boss that we're this and we're that but the role of managing people is the manager's role Mm -hmm. the role of coaching managers and how to have a difficult conversation is hr's role So that should be the clear line in the sand. Um, And that is something I would encourage listeners if they find themselves in this uh, boat to practice an empowered no to. Mm -hmm. I don't manage your people. However, what I can do is coach you on how to have the conversation. How does that sound? Right. So that's not defensive. That's just clear. And clear is kind, as Bre- as Brené Brown would say. That's right. <laughs> clear is kind. Right? For yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. With that being said, Teresa Voza, you have survived your time in the sound booth today. And I want to thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with, with me. Um, would you please like to tell the beautiful people listening to this episode today where they can find you on social media so that they can engage with you some more? Well, thank you, Julie. I've had such a good time. And and um, I just want to say again, thank you for having me. And I've loved this conversation. And I love the work that you do. Um, if people want to find me, very simple. I hang out mostly on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram. But LinkedIn is really where I spend most of my time. Mm-hmm. And there's also my website. You can also contact me on my website or join my email list for anyone that's interested. But um, yeah, it's been a wonderful time being here. And I look forward to staying in touch with you, Julie. You do great work. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of HR Sound Off. I hope that you found it useful. You can find this and all of the episodes of HR Sound Off on all major podcast platforms. Spotify, Apple, Amazon, you name it, we're there. Remember, HR Sound Off is created by HR professionals for HR professionals. If you would like to share your story, then reach out to us and let us know. Make sure to hit the notification bell and subscribe to HR Sound Off on YouTube as well as Podbean. And we'll see you again when we next sound off.